You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Thomas. Flying solo today on the, actually, I think the intro and the show. The show was actually recorded a few weeks ago. Uh, we had a bunch lined up for the rut. And I'm doing the the recording of the intro on the two, or the Sunday before the show drops. So it's been a few weeks since I actually recorded with these guys. Um, so kind of forgetting everything about it right now. But it's all coming back to me. It's all coming back to me. Had a busy weekend. Um, we're going to have, as our podcast crew, me, Andy, and Micah, we are planning to record our rut slash rifle recap show this week. And it is going to be a good one. We, Our Missouri Woods and Water family has had a bunch of stuff happen uh, since the end of October until now. And hopefully by the time we record this show, I make something happen. But um, lots going on, a lot of crazy stories, a lot of big deer have hit the ground, and um, just a lot of stuff has gone on with our MWW family. So look forward to that show. But today's show is also pretty cool. We got the guys with Vantage Point Archery on the show. Brian and Jeff come on and talk about, um, if you don't know about Vantage Point, they are a well, they're a lot more than that now. Uh, they had a big announcement a couple days ago, but uh, for the sake, for the purposes of this show, they are a broadhead company, and they sell really high-end, uh, high-quality broadheads made in America, all that stuff. We basically talk about broadheads and you know get into what makes a good broadhead, what they do, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a good show with Brian and Jeff. Appreciate them coming on. Um, and doing that. So, uh, without further, further ado, I'm not going to talk much more about our rut rifle show, uh, cause we're going to get into that. It's a, it's going to be a good one, but, uh, let's do some sponsors real quick before we do the show and we'll just jump right into it. Let's start with Athlon Optics. Those badass optics have helped us, um, put some bone on the ground the last month or so. So check them out. Athlonoptics.com. Find a dealer near you. If you can't find one, reach out to us. We know a few dealers that we would definitely recommend. Weber Outfitters, check out our buddies over there. They are getting some cool stuff geared up for the wintertime. Got some awesome coyote hunts coming up that they're going to be, not sponsoring, well, I guess that too, hosting. And, um, you know, they've been been awesome to work with. And they, you know, they've got all kinds of stuff, man, archery related, gun related, you name it, 
they're doing it. And um, we uh, love working with them. So hope Adam and Josh and everybody out there at Weber uh, continues to get out there and hunt, have a good season. I've been following along um, with some of the social media stuff of all the folks over there at Weber and, you know, rooting for them as they're out there trying to get it done. So check it out, Weber Outfitters. Um, Morel Targets. Um, the bow has been put up a little bit over the last couple days, but those targets are just uh, ready to go at any moment's notice. Throw out that big, what the hell is that thing called now? Big big roller. That's what I got. I got the big one, not the, the smaller of the two, the big roller, and I just throw it out and start shooting. It's pretty awesome. Check them out, Morel Targets. Midwest Gunworks, use our code WOODSWATER for 5% off. Uh, I just ordered some ARCA rails for... Well, not just had them for a while, but I just got them and put them on a couple weeks ago and uh, work really well. Uh, I had to get some more mounts for another thing I'm, I'm using for my new gun and uh, Midwest Gunworks, man, they got them all. So check them out. Uh, MidwestGunworks.com, River's Edge Tree Stands. Use our code Missouri10 for 10% off plus free shipping on all hang-ons and ladders. It's not too late to hang a stand. I guess it's uh, by the time you listen to this, the it'll be the very last day of rifle season in Missouri, but you can still go hang a sand stand for the rest of the year. Um, that is the only like firearm hunting we do. I know the state of Missouri's got um, alternative methods, and I don't know what else we don't do any of it. Um, we really, if we're gonna break guns out, we only break them out during this ten day stretch, and then they get put back up, and the bows are going. So. I know there's a lot more uh, gun-type related hunting that can happen in the state. We just don't know a whole lot about it because we don't do it. But you can go set up a tree stand for the next one that's coming and get ready for it. Um, Lucky Buck, luckybuckmineral.com. I posted a reel today of a deer that died. (laughs) And um, it's videos of him hitting Lucky Buck all summer, man. All freaking summer. So that stuff works. Uh, it's attracting, uh, it smells so damn good. I want to lick it and, um, I haven't tried it yet. I'm guessing it would be too salty for my taste, but check them out. Luckybuckmineral.com on X, use the code MWW 20 for 20% off. Me and Micah used the hell out of that app, uh, the day he got something done or the night before actually. So, um, don't sleep on it, man. It's got the mobile version and then do not sleep on the desktop version. I use that all the time. And it's really nice. Camo Fire, uh, when you're hunting, it's a great app to get on. Check out those daily deals. Um, give you more reason to go hunting if you if you wait to get on the Camo Fire app while you're in the tree stand or hanging from the saddle or whatnot. It's a good time to do that. So uh, check it out, Camo Fire and Black Ovis. Last but not least, BlackOvis.com. Uh, they are awesome. Our guys over there that we work with, there are awesome folks. Uh, just check them out, man. They they've got a little. They're an online retailer. They've got a little bit of everything, and the trophy line saddles that we're using this year, Black Ovis came through with some of that stuff, and it is sweet. Um, never thought I would say I'm a saddle hunter, which I'm not totally a saddle hunter, but I've been doing a lot of it this year, and it's pretty freaking sweet. And guess where it all, uh, most of it came from Black Ovis. So check them out. Use the code MWW10 for ten percent off. And I missed one, Reveal Cameras by Tacticam. I, like I said, that reel I dropped of uh, a deer Micah got <laughs> killed. I'm trying not to, like, 
ruin it for anybody who hasn't been on social media. Um, they're all, all those, all those videos of that deer are on reveal cameras by Tacticam. So check them out. Reveal cameras. Um, can't say enough good things about them and that's it. So how about we get into the show with Brian and Jeff with Vantage Point Archery. This is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. Okay, with us today, we've got Brian Poe and Jeff Stringer with Vantage Point Archery. What's up, fellas? Just glad to be here. Thanks for inviting us on. Yeah, no yep, problem. Thank you. Uh, Micah and Andy send their condolences. They wish they could have made it today, but um, the propane game is getting really, really important down here in the Missouri. We're down <laughs> in the 30s today uh, after being hotter than hell for the last month. So oh, yeah. Mike is slinging that Hank Hill propane right now, and Andy is just Andy. He's you know who who knows where he is ever. He's just somewhere. So you guys are stuck with me. That that's just that's your bad. Is what it is. No problem. Um, so for the listener, uh, you know, Vantage Point Archery is is obviously uh, they they don't just sell broadheads, but you know their um, their bread and butter is broadheads. I would assume I'm, I'm saying that for these guys here. But before we get into all of that stuff, uh, why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Tell uh, the listener a little bit about who you are, where you're from, uh, and uh, how your what your background in the hunting world is. And uh, Jeff, we'll just start with you, and then we'll let Brian go. All right. My name is Jeff Stringer. I'm born and raised in in Utah, a little town called Spanish Fork. Uh, really, you know, my family's been hunting since i can remember I, I don't remember not going deer hunting or pheasant hunting or whatever it was so just born and bred and living out west there's so many things to hunt so uh, moved around uh, my background was aluminum uh, so i worked for alcoa and some other big places and ended up in uh, indiana and found vantage point archery in a machine shop that's absolute that's part of it and that's how we ended up doing what we do but i've always been an archer always been a rifleman um, just part of what I enjoy doing being outside. Yeah. Brian, how about you, man? Brian Poe, uh, born and mostly raised in Northern Indiana. Um, I moved away to Florida for about like, I was born in Warsaw, I moved to Florida for about nine years and then came back to Indiana. And I've been here since I wasn't brought up hunting, didn't have family that really deer hunted. Um, I was introduced to it by some buddies at school. Their dads hunted, they hunted, and uh, it was just a natural thing. If my friends were going to do it, I had to do it. So I started out bow hunting, uh, that morphed later into some muzzleloader and shotgun hunting. But over the last 10 years, I've been strictly bow hunting, and it's just something I'm passionate about. There's nothing like bow hunting, and uh, I love it. So I have spent uh, the last 30 years in the orthopedic industry. Uh, the town I'm in is the orthopedic capital of the world. So for the last two weeks, I've been employed with BPA. I've been on the field staff for about three and a half years, and uh, this just kind of worked out, and uh, Jeff brought me on, and uh, here I am. So I'm happy to be here. Nice. Great company, great people. So when your buddies got you into hunting, did they uh, did they do any hazing? You know, did they make you eat a heart, the first one you killed? Did they make you gut all their deer? 
Yeah, you know, it's funny that most of the hazing was shooting those awful bows back then with the little tiny <laughs> wheels and 55 pounds of fingers and, and 50% let off. It was brutal now. You look back at it and don't know how you did it, but it's all we knew. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm the same way as you, Brian. I didn't start hunting until I was in my super late teens, early 20s. Uh, I didn't grow, I grew up in a town, not in a city, but in a town and I didn't have buddies that hunted or at least didn't talk about it. And, uh, my now wife grew up on a farm and her brothers were hunters. And so as her and I started dating, that's how I got into hunting. I started going hunting with the older brother and, and now my best friend is the, the younger brother and him and I just got back from Wyoming, uh, chasing elk. So, you know. All, all three of us on this show are similar to what Jeff and Brian just mentioned. Like Andy grew up, Andy was like sitting in fence rows with, you know, firearms when he was seven years old. His dad, you know, would just say, go figure it out. You know, go, f- if you need to kill a turkey, go do it, you know. And uh, Micah was a lot of the same way. And then you got a guy like me who, you know, didn't know anything. I mean, just, I didn't even know hunting existed, I bet you, when I was middle school, you know, high school. I just was oblivious to anything of that world. I never saw anybody do it. It was just nothing I had anything to do with. And then as soon as it happened, it was like addiction. You know, that's what my wife would call it. Straight up addiction. (laughs) And one thing you can certainly get addicted to is broadheads. And, and I'm that I am definitely in that category, you know, always researching, always trying to figure out what's, you know, fixed versus mechanical. Then once you decide what, then you got to, you know, go through all these different options, what flies better, this and that. So, um, what was the, the, uh, what was the thought behind the foundation of Vantage Point Archery? Was there a, a specific mission that you wanted to, um, accomplish by, you know, starting the company or the company get going, you know, for people who don't know, I do my homework and, and vantage point archery is, is a, is a higher end, uh, broadhead. In my opinion, maybe you guys disagree with me, but it's a high end, you know, broadhead. So what was the goal when it first started? What, what were we trying to accomplish? Well, we can't take credit for that. So <laughs> I know Ryan, Ryan, myself and Rob, bought the company about five years ago so mm-hmm. the story behind how we even found it was robin rob's one of my partners ryan's the other partner um they owned a uh insulation company and i was looking for some parts to get made and somebody said hey go check out this machine shop they can do it for you so ran over there met the guys loved them um and i'm walking around thinking this thing's underutilized how could we help them out and ended up buying it and as I walked around, I seen the broadheads and I had friends that were part of the Wackham broadhead group, Seth Davis and Scott Davis that started that. And I thought, man, we, we need to dig into this. So when you start digging back in the history, it's really Jeff Miller and he's still with us and right. said, there's, there's just not a good broadhead out there that he enjoyed shooting on the traditional side. So he said, we've got all the equipment. Let's delve into it and try it. It was word of mouth at the beginning. And then uh, when we got it, we really kind of took it over and, and took it mainstream, put the equipment behind it. You know, the, the big thing for us is quality. We want to make sure that you have the right broadhead, you have the right quality behind the broadhead. And it's just a good product that when you invest that money, because we're not the cheapest, but we're not the most expensive. But when you invest that money, you feel good about it. And it's something you can use over and over and over. I tell people, 
use it this year, use it next year, use it this kill, next kill, every harvest you get. That's that's the difference that we're trying to make. Maybe not the best business plan, but um, I can look you in the eye and say, I charged what I thought it was worth, and I, I think you'll be happy with what you paid for it. Right. And I'm definitely one of those guys that my I remember my dad told me this years ago. You get what you pay for. And and not everything is that true, right? There are some things that I can spend a lot less money on something and uh, get the same quality maybe as something I spend a lot of money on. But I've always been a proponent, you know, and we've talked about this on our show when we talk about our bow setups and things like that. You know, you go and spend $1,500 on a bow. You get the nicest arrows you can find. You get AAE Max, you know, fletchings. You do all these different things. You spend $300 on a release, and then you want to bitch out or cheap out on the thing that actually kills the animal on the end of the arrow. You know, I spent all this money, and oh my God, $65 for a set of three, and I'm just saying that number. I have no idea what the cost is. I can't do that. I can't I can't do that. And I've been one of those dudes, like, I, I own probably the most expensive if not the second most expensive broadheads on the market um and i'm not going to say names because we're talking to vantage point today i don't want to give someone else a uh, a plug but you know i just i've never wrapped my head around the fact that something that actually does the physical job of killing once the arrow's released you know you've done all this work on getting the bow tuned and everything correct once that arrow's gone there's only one thing between that deer and death and that is that razor blade it's about to zip through them hopefully and you know through my learning of the archery world the archery game um we've all shot deer and i've shot deer that didn't die and i start one you know i start to ask myself why didn't this what happened was it the shot well the shot felt pretty good um why didn't i not get married you know why did i only get penetration down to here and then i started really doing research and Everybody's got a different setup. Me in particular, Andy, for instance, is the exact opposite of me. Andy is 6'7 and left-handed. So he has got a 32-inch draw, left-handed bow. I'm 5'7, shooting a 27-inch draw bow. So no matter what I do, my my arrows are going to be slower than most people's. No matter what I do. Even if I'm up at 75 pounds, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be slower. And my arrow is typically going to be lighter than most people's because it's shorter. So less per, you know, less grains per uh, inch, all those things happen. So I'm a guy that wants to find a good quality cut on contact blade because I really want to poke two holes in that animal if I can help it. Mm -hmm. And the only way I'm going to do that is if that broadhead starts cutting the second it touches because I'm going to lose energy quick. Um, I think I'm 260 feet per second, right? 253 feet per second this year with my with my or my my bow and that's only with a 425 grain arrow you know if i jumped up to let's say a 525 which is where i'd love to be i'm gonna be 220 feet per second you know potentially pretty slow so um when you guys are deciding what you want to you know build there's there's different ways you can go right you can you can build a blade that is you know not necessarily razor sharp and you know is a little more hardy um obviously we're not even going to talk about mechanicals because that's not what you guys produce. Um, those are a different area, but 
Oh, come on. Come on. Let's make it fun. Bring on some mechanical <laughs> chat here. <clears throat> um, I just know that the most popular broadhead in the world is a, is a uh, mechanical, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't pay my kid to put that on the end of their arrow. So let's just uh, leave it at that. So, and there are, there are some, some quality mechanicals that I've done research on that, and I have shot before. Um, but the one in particular we're talking about, I, I just can't see how it's so popular. <laughs> very good marketing. Very, very good marketing. That's it. But what about, um, what about your broadhead when you, you know, once you bought it and we were trying to figure out what are we going to produce and how are we, how are we going to bring it to, market what about your stuff said this these things have to be met we have to meet these goals when we're producing a certain broadhead go for it brian we've been talking about that last couple weeks for sure but first of all you mentioned this earlier what really drew me to vpa uh, almost four years ago was the fact that the material sourced in the u.s and everything's manufactured in the u.s and we need more of that. <clears throat> is it going to be the least expensive? No. But their goals and their objective is to build the best possible head. And just in the two weeks I've been there, um, I'm just blown away at the constant improvement and how we can make tweaks and adjustments and continue to make quality products. Now, does that make your margin smaller? Yeah. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Jeff, you were told recently on a, a different product, somebody had mentioned, you need to go to China. You need to go outside and buy your material. And of course, Jeff said no. And I just think that what we get here and what we manufacture here, it's so much easier to keep tabs on and understand what's going on, uh, especially when it's in-house. So as far as I'm concerned, I tested 100 grain up to 250 grain, single bevel, double bevel, three blade. When I first came on board as a field staff member, all the heads were quality. They all spun true. They all held up through OSB testing. And I shot and I shot and I shot these things. And I would resharpen them and shoot them again. So I did about four months of testing before I decided which way I was going to go. But I felt comfortable with any of the VPA heads, any of them, to put on the tip of my arrow. Nice. I think, I think what Brian brings up is what I think we do different. How we machine our heads is completely different than everybody else. And everybody will say, no, there's only one way to do it. I've, I've seen a lot of these. I've, my background's metal. What we do is different. And, and it's more expensive the way we do it. Because we really start out with one pound of metal. And we can end up with 100 grains at a broadhead. But it still starts out as one pound. Make sure it's true. But the things that we look at a little bit different, I think, than other people. Is there's a group of people that, you know, let's face it, the economy sucks right now. Things are more expensive. People don't have as much money to decide what to do. So there's some limits on what your funds are. And I'm not going to knock anybody for buying what they think is is good. The one we're talking about, and I'll just throw it out there, is Rage. If you can make a broadhead and a pack of three for 27 bucks, and you think there's quality in there, I mean, you're fooling yourself and whoever's buying it, but it is what it is, right? right. And there is there is good marketing behind that. We take it the other way that, you know, we're, we're a Christian-based company, and when, when I look at that animal, that's God's creation, and he put it on this earth, and we have to, if we're going to take that animal to eat, and even if you're taking it for sport, you have to do it ethically. And I want to make sure whatever I send downrange gives that animal the most humane death we can give it because that's what you're doing you're you're killing it at the end of the day so we want to make sure our product is again like brian said made in the usa 
by good U.S. American people that need the jobs. Why go to China? Um, I don't have to worry about slave labor. We we pay above rate. We try to, you know, we make sure our families are putting their kids through school, buying homes, homes, uh, trucks, whatever they need to do. Just make sure we got a good quality living they get through. We use U.S. products, and then we make sure that we don't scrimp. Matter of fact, yesterday, me and Brian and some others were sitting in a meeting. We had somebody that kind of messed some stuff up in the shop. And what was my my response, Brian? I think I told him, "Scrap them, start over." Yeah. I'm not sending out a I'm not sending out a, a defect on anything. It's just not how we work. Yeah. And that, that you you hit the nail on the head with the uh, dispatching of the animal as quick as possible. You know, um, Micah, myself, and Andy are all, you know, Christian guys as well. And, you know, we, we allow people to say whatever they want on our show. But every time we start recording with somebody, um, if, we ha- if, we ha- if we're talking to a person that might be a little, you know, more uh, vulgar in the way they talk, uh, we always say, hey, you can say whatever you want. Please just don't say GD. That's the only thing we don't say on here. And, uh, you know, I, I shot a buck on a, he's on another wall that you guys can't see, um, five years ago. And that buck, um, suffered for, oh, almost 12 hours, uh, before he, you know, Pat died and then I found him. So I was able to, you know, eat, salvage the meat and all that was good, but it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. You, you, you walk away going, that's not how I wanted this to go. You know, I didn't, I didn't want him and it was, it was a bow kill. Um, I shot a little high and it was pretty much all guts and intestines that it hit and I knew it. So I backed out like a smart person would and I recovered him and I was able to eat the meat. He, he died right before I found him luckily from the meat perspective, but that means he sat there, you know, trying not to die for 12 13 14 hours uh you know in a bed and that's when you go back and you go what did i do wrong was it the shot it was it was the shot but you know you gotta you gotta ask yourself what did i do wrong you know a lot of people find that deer and then they're like sweet i found him it was successful it was a win but to me yeah it was a win but it was a loss it was kind of one of those like win-lose situations uh you guys either of you guys watch the office or whatever, mm-hmm. where, where Michael's like, oh, that's a lose-lose. That was ugly, you know. <laughs> it was a win-lose situation for me. I, I, I won in the end, but it wasn't as – it was bittersweet. And, you know, that's why when I'm, you know, looking at broadheads, I, I tend to, you know, kind of look for stuff that's, you know, higher quality uh, material. Um, you know, I don't know all the different things that you guys know with A2 steels and all these different types of steels and metals, but – if if I can take a broadhead and bang it against the ground and dent it or bend the ferrule or whatever, I'm not so sure I want that flying through, you know, an elk or a deer because if it hits a bone and doesn't, you know, hold up, then I might do less damage than I'm hoping. And, and to be honest with you, all I want my broadhead is do, to do is to screw up as much stuff as possible all the way through the animal. So that, that, well, that some is, of those, go ahead. Some of those, some of those are design factors, right? I mean, if you want to sell a lot of broadheads, make them show they're one shot. You shoot one time and you got to go get, get a new one. And, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you let people know going into that. But you know, you didn't say you wanted 
maybe not mixed fixed and and expandables but let's just look at the science behind it a lot of i just watched that um jj and uh the elk shaped guy last night on a a little podcast they did and they were there i think it was levi morgan and some other guys shooting mechanicals through plywood and some other things and there there's some really good broadheads out there jay at grim reapers somebody i consider a friend and and he makes some great broadheads but when they they don't start doing what they have to do mechanically until they're a couple inches in you've already lost momentum and then it's going to do what it does it takes more energy out of the shot while you're doing that and nothing a lot of those when you looked at it they start talking about penetration they shot against iron will um it's not always going to go through and actually dudley said when he was with uh oh, another talking head he he said well i don't want it to pass through i want it to stick in there i stand back and i think about this and i look at these people and think you're missing the ethical part. I want it to stick in there. It's proven that the deer is not going to bleed out the same way as if it goes the full pass through. You have two leaking holes that are, it's got all the damage done on the inside and that, that deer expires quicker. Mm-hmm. So what do we, when you stand back, those are people that I'm looking at and, and products I'm looking at saying that deer, that deer is the one that's getting most affected by this thing, right? Hunting's fun for us and it's something we do as a hobby. That deer is giving its life. So shouldn't you, one of the main focuses you have is have a piece of gear, whether it's your bow, your arrow, your shot placement, your practice, and say, my ultimate goal is to take that deer ethically. And that doesn't mean that you're going to not miss or hit it forward or hit it behind, but that's where we come in and say, all right, you hit it forward and you hit it in that front shoulder, we're still going through. You hit it in the back shoulder, we're still going through. You hit it in both shoulders, we're, we're still going through. Our stuff is a tank. It's going to... You know, we can talk about FOC and all those other things, but ours is going through and you're going to have a better chance at ethical kill. Instead of shooting, if you watch that one with JJ and those guys last night, some of the blades were breaking off. Some of them, they never opened up. I mean, all those things that you don't know when it hits the deer and you're out tracking it, maybe just poke two holes in it, two small holes in it. Just the deer has a choice, maybe not a choice, but it has a, you you have some loyalty to that deer in, in your shot. Yeah. Jeff, another thing I noticed that I mentioned in the email was in that video as well. Every single one of those mechanicals, and that's not just to bash mechanicals, but when they hit these ribs, this, this medium they were shooting, every single one changed angle because those blades are not going to open, I guess you'd say, concentrically at the same time. So your arrow path is going to change. If the top blade or bottom blade opens before the other one, it's got to change. And I've had that. I lost a buck one time because of that. It's the only thing I come up with. It was the last buck I shot with a mechanical head years ago. And I would shoot this deer in this same spot every single time the rest of my life. Lung blood. But what I think happened was when it went in, it hit a rib and it touched one lung. So I got lung blood on the ground. It never hit the second lung. We didn't recover him. We tracked him for, I couldn't tell you how long, five of us the next day, scoped this woods and end up bumping him on the far east side of the woods two properties over. And uh, so that was a lesson learned that the only thing I could come up with is that it had to have deflected because the angle and the shot, I would do that every single time. So in contrast to that, the last four deer that we've shot, two bucks and two does with our, our VPA had single bevels, especially, we've got a total tracking distance of 165 yards. 
And that's no joke. That's no exaggeration. Um, I posted a video on social media last year. I shot a doe at 17 yards. And she, when I stopped her, she kind of turned and quartered a little bit. So I intentionally aimed for the knuckle, for the point. And it went through her so quickly and stuck in the ground that she turned and she took just a couple little gallops and turned back and looked toward me. And I'm looking at the exit hole on the opposite shoulder. And she got wobbly and just right there. And so you want ethical. Um, I watched her take the last breath. It was probably 12, 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get any better than that. And that's that's the thing with fixed blades is they're boring. Look at this Omega. It's boring. Doesn't have any moving moving parts. Nothing to watch open or close. Or that's really cool. Look how this works. But it works. No moving parts. And uh, you can put an edge on those that it will retain. Even after a pass-through, I'm blown away at these things. When you feel those edges, how sharp they are, even after passing through a deer. So yeah. we've got other stories besides mine, but um, yeah, the, the fixed heads, especially well, the EPAs, they just they just work. You're not the only one. You you kind of stole my thunder because I was watching. I feel like mm-hmm. it might have been Growing Deer t- TV, uh, Dr. Grant Woods. It might have been someone else. I don't remember. I suck at remembering what I watch, but I remember <laughs> I remember what it is I watched. I just don't remember who put it out, and it was a. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was talking about, like we were just talking about, doing a lot of damage inside compared to zipping right through. And now this is not 100% of the time, but there's a, a higher likelihood that if you zip right through a deer, it keeps them calm, calmer than if they're getting, you know, their stuff kicked in uh, inside their body. And Absolutely. sometimes they just don't know what just happened, so they bound away mm-hmm. for a few, and they look back, and they're like, what was that? And you can see blood just gushing you know, out of, out of their body. And then they, they fall just like you said. Whereas if you mm-hmm. cause a lot of damage, you know, as you're going through, not that we're not causing damage when we're zipping through, it's just so fast and quick that they don't realize that, um, somebody mentioned in the video, it, sometimes I think the deer might think it got bit by something like, um, you know, a snake on the ground, bit him in the leg or something like that. And they just don't know exactly what it was before they're, you know, tipping over um, compared to a deer that you slap straight on the butt, they'll run for 30 miles before they, they <laughs> slow down. And if yeah. it takes a deer two and a half minutes to die, a deer can go a long ways in two and a half minutes if it, if it knows, yeah. you know, something's wrong. And when I watched that video, it, it made a lot of sense to me. And this has been a long time. I mean, several years since I watched that and it, it stuck with me. So like a guy like me, I want to poke two holes. That That's my goal every time. I want the two holes to be in the right spot, too. I don't really want to poke like the deer I told you guys about that suffered for, you know, 12, 14 hours. I put two holes in them, but they weren't the two holes I wanted. Did he die? Yep. And was he going to die? Yes. I successfully killed him, but not exactly how I wanted it to go. But had I only poked one hole in that deer, who knows if I would have found him, you know, down the road yeah. um because of those two holes i was able just to find a little bit of evidence about where he was and i mean a little bit but at least it told me he's got to be here and you know i was able to find him if i only had one hole man i i really don't know short of seeing where he ran and just kind of starting that direction i don't know that i would have you know figured him out and and one hole might have let him live even longer Let's say yeah. one hole he would have lived for 16 hours. So then the next morning when I go to find him, I bump him and lose them all together. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So 
I've yeah. always been a guy that's it's two holes. That's what I I want two holes in the animal, and that's what I want. So, you know, then I start looking for stuff like what you guys you know produce and and some others out there. So let's talk about like what you guys produce. What are the different types of broadheads you use or you have, and you know what's the the positives and and what are the what are the positives and negatives to having one compared to the other? What do you guys, you know, like to use them for that's this and that? We have 78 SKUs now, I think, and it's, it's growing with the Omega line and we actually have another line coming out. Um, obviously the positives that we, we talk about is there's this whole fight between FOC and high FOC and low FOC. Usually when you call us and we say usually, cause not always, it depends what people ask, but if you call me and say, Hey, what do you use? The first thing I'm, or what do you want me to use? I'll tell you, what are you comfortable with? We, we have everything from 100 to 350 and we can actually go up to 600 if you really want to go that high, but we don't tell anybody here's what you got. So we will make a two blade from 100 to 300. We'll make a, a single bevel from 100 to 300. We have more choices on our offering than anybody else does. We have three blades, two blades, double bevel, single bevel. Uh, I mean, when you look at the lineup, it's, I, I think it's pretty impressive, but it's what you're comfortable with. We're not going to dictate because I'm not the one that's pulling the string back and launching that thing at the animal. It's you. You're the one that's got to be comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was going through your stuff. Uh, you got, uh, let's just say in like the three, but three blade, um, Okay, sure. So there's the three blade, 100, 125, 150, 175, <laughs> uh, 190, 200, 250, 300. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like... Whatever you want. Yeah, you can go, and like you said, that you got the different offerings, the two blades, the, um, the single d- bevel. Different stills. Do you yeah. want mild still? Do you want stainless? Do you want S7? I mean, they're all over the place. Yeah. And you got fill points. That's nice. Yeah, we got thumpers. We've got turkey spurs. We've got risers. We're trying to mm-hmm. trying to do a little bit for everything. You know, I think one of the things I want people to think about, though, is just what you just said about let's talk about, again, going back to JJ's shot. You have these mechanicals that are open up three inches, five inches, 25 inches, whatever their <laughs> claim to fame is. But then you, you listen to them and say, well, ours are designed that they don't open up till they're through the skin and through that bone. Okay, so that means that you've got a little hole on the backside. You lose all that uh, energy, so you know, you know you're not going to punch a three-hole or a three-inch hole coming out the other side. So you've done a bunch of damage, but all these mechanicals say, well, we do that for a big blood trail. All right, let's just back up and think about that. I'm not going to open up until I'm two inches in, so the, the entrance hole is going to be tight around the arrow because the skin and everything, the, the muscle tissues tied around it, they're going to do a ton of damage. If, if, and I, I put parentheses around, if that thing opens up, you'll do a, a bunch of damage on the inside, but it's not going to come out. So where's this big, big blood trail? It's, it's going to bleed. It's definitely going to, but it's all going to be on the inside, maybe a little bit on the outside. Mm-hmm. You punch two holes in there and I don't care if they're pin side holes. I don't care if you do it with a, a target tip. You're going to have leakage. You're going to have more blood that way. And I'm not saying that's how it always works out because there's pass through with some mechanicals. But this whole argument about mechanicals and and fixed blades, I just don't understand it. Mechanicals, when you shoot, you want to take variation out of your shot. 
and then you're going to go buy a mechanical and what does that do i don't know because it creates variation yep. so it, it just it doesn't make sense and i used to shoot mechanicals a lot um, but even some of the fixed blade again you're adding variation if you if you're shooting a fixed blade that's made up of six components there's variations in all those components and it's never repeatable ours there's variation in ours i'm not going to say they're all identical but we machine them in in a, such a way that every blade is exactly the same the ferrule the center line the run out is exactly the same nobody else does it the way we do it and not even to put stop there is that we do a lot of broadheads for other people we don't go out and advertise who they are but we wait, label a lot of broadheads and they come to us because of the way we manufacture nice can I piggyback real quick onto that? And, and it yeah. also goes back to what you had said about, did you put a bad shot on that deer that you did recover late? Yes. But see, that's, that's human. We have variables. We practice as much as possible, but torque, heart rate, heavy breathing, uh, you know, punching and release under tension, under pressure. A lot of that stuff happens when the chips are down and that's just part of hunting. That's what makes it fun. But what I want to remove are variables like Jeff was talking about. I don't want to have to worry about blades opening uh on the way i don't want to have to worry um i actually watched a video of a guy who went to move his mechanical in the tree stand and caught it i think it was on his backpacking on another tree and it opened and he had to close it before he could take a shot at the deer so rare maybe but it's possible um i don't want to have to worry about variables and uh there's enough with me <laughs> with executing that shot and putting it where it needs to be without introducing anything else so mm -hmm. I want something that's going to retain the edge as long as possible through the animal. It's only going to get more dull as it goes through the animal. Um, but if it's razor sharp to begin with, uh, you know, the energy that you retain is going to be a lot better going through that animal. I mean, for example, if you look at a, a 65 pound draw, pretty, pretty average, pretty normal, um, a 400 grain arrow, at a 28 inch draw length comes out to about 70 foot pounds of kinetic energy. Now that's at launch. That's not at 20, 30, 40 yards. If it takes even 10 or 20 foot pounds to open a mechanical, go ahead and subtract the 70 at launch. And now you're at 50 at 20 or 30, assuming the arrow flew perfect. You had a perfect release. You didn't torque the bow. Good luck with that. Uh, who knows where you are by the time you get to the animal. So that explains a lot of times why an arrow hits and you'll just see those things tail whip. The flight was bad. Uh, mechanical didn't open properly or open prematurely. There's a lot of stuff that can happen. Um, but with that fixed blade, it just removes those variables. We're always going to be a variable. We know that, but let's remove tune our bows, good fixed blade, razor sharp head. And that removes those from the equation. Yeah. Gives you a better chance for success. <clears throat> No, and and you're right. I mean that situation we've talked about with mine. It was it was me that was the variable. Um, you know that was the one time I was like, "Damn it, this podcast made me think too much," because, <laughs> because we had just had a buddy on who does not like to stop deer when he shoots them. He practices that way. He practices, and he is a well known name in the industry, and he practices on deer that move uh i think what happened i think he's he's tried to stop a deer years ago and when he did that thing came out of its own skin and he never saw <laughs> that deer again so then he you know obviously he's not going to shoot at a deer that's running but um and he had just killed the deer the week before i shot this deer and the deer on video was walking and then had its head down feeding 
and he shot it, made a great shot. Deer died 60 yards later, and he got so much hate from, you know, our the hunting community where we can be little bitches sometimes. <laughs> and we, you know, oh, I can't believe you didn't stop this deer, blah, blah, blah. Well, I've never not stopped a deer, right? Um, and so this deer came in. He was he was chasing a doe, and he got on. I mean, I saw him, said, shooter, grab my bow, go to get ready. Mm-hmm. And with by the time he was already five yards underneath my stand, almost directly underneath me, my first thought was, watch your height because he's he's right there like you're gonna have a steep angle but then he was moving and i and i just thought to myself he's too close to stop he's he's gonna freak out i'm not gonna stop him and i i said just you know aim a little you know lead him just a little bit and i didn't i did but i didn't and i shot him back but because i had you know and i don't use these types of blades anymore these heads anymore it at least got through all the way and that's the only reason I, I found him is because it, it, it poked two holes. If it wouldn't have poked that second hole, his entire cavity, because my first hole was high because he was steeply angled. So he was just going to fill up with blood and probably never bleed a drop. Instead, he now the, the, the exit hole exited just in front of his back leg and pulled intestines out with it. Mm-hmm. So it didn't bleed great. But it was isn't it was enough that I could find just a little bit of direction to travel. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I'd have been like uh, that <laughs> three hundred acres that way, you know, um, something like that. So, yeah. yeah um, and the other thing I wanted to ask you guys out about is is weight because you know there's there's a few companies out there that offer a bunch of different weights in in their broadheads. But honestly, I don't think I've found one like you guys that literally go from 100 to like 600 or, you know, 350 stock, and then you could potentially get even more. Um, what are your thoughts on, on arrow weight and broadhead weight, and where do you fall personally? Like, what do you like to use as far as your setups? Go ahead, Brent. Let me go first. I, I've done a lot of testing when I went back to the fixed blade even before I started with VPA, just a lot of testing. Some of it is what, I mean, I'm in my 38th season, so I've seen a lot of arrows fly. Uh, and some of it is that. Can I can I be satisfied, first of all, with this bow tune? Does the arrow fly the way I want it to? Uh, I really want to use this X weight head, but I don't really care about the flight. I'm going to use it anyway. There are people that actually do that, where they want to get to an arrow weight, and they'll sacrifice perfect arrow flight and, um, you know, Ashby's, uh, you know, 12 rules there. Number one, structural, structural integrity, which should be a no-brainer for anybody. Uh, ethical kills come to mind. And number two, I mean, it's got to fly perfect. So that's a priority with us. My three boys and my son-in-law and I, we shoot anywhere from 480 to 580. Anywhere in there from 150 grain up to 200. So a lot of it is what you can live with. Maybe a number in your head as far as speed goes. I want to be between 275 and 285. Yeah. And you can work through some testing and you can figure out what you want there. Um, I'm personally at 530 grains. Um, uh, I just use a, a, a Black Eagle Carnivore stock insert. And I've got a 200 grain um, Omega. And I'm at 530. I don't use lighted knocks. And uh, I'm getting 283 feet per second out of my bow with that and um that will do a lot i haven't shot a deer with that setup yet but i'm hoping hoping tomorrow morning 
but I also have a 31 and a half inch draw. And so that opens up a lot of opportunities. I understand that, that it doesn't necessarily for other people. Yep. So, um, I think it depends. In my mind, I'm, I'm telling you to screw off right now because <laughs> you, you got 530 grains and you're still faster than me at 415. It's not, yeah. it's not fair. It's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, Andy's yeah. the same way as you. He's got a 32 inch draw and the dude can do whatever he wants. He could, he could throw a freaking baseball bat with that, his bow at a deer and it'd probably fly faster than mine, but no, not mine. Mine's feather light and still slow, but yeah. Hey, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jeff? So Brian's going to find out pretty quick that, I've got, I think I've got six bows and they're all set up different because the difference of EPA is we want to shoot everything. So when somebody calls and says, what do you think about this? I don't want to say, I don't know. I make it, but I've never shot it. So I'll just give you extremes. I have a Darton. We're, we're good friends with Randy Kitts and he got me set up on a Darton. So I've got a Darton bow with some three blade, 300, one and a half, half inch cuts. Um, the whole setup on it's on a victory rip. I think the whole setup's like 586 or something like that. It's pretty heavy. But I've shot um, turkey with that. I've shot whitetail with it. I've shot a ton of groundhogs and varmints and things, a couple of coyotes. Love it. And then I have a, a Matthews V3 that's got the same rip arrows on it, shooting um, things like 512, 515. I didn't weigh them. I put some lighted knocks in them last night. I haven't weighed them. But I'm shooting the 200 Omegas on it, and I actually posted some stuff last Sunday, Brian, maybe, last Saturday. I don't remember. I shot a deer uh, 24 yards out. She ran. I, I think I put in there, why do you need a blood trail when they run 20 and die? But I think she went eight and a half yards, tipped over. Didn't even know what hit her. She kind of looked around like, what was that? And dead. And that's what we're trying to do. You know, it's, I don't, I'm done talking about other people's broadheads. The difference with ours is we test them. You'll see a video that came out last week with Brian in the shop testing the new 125 Omegas to make sure that they meet what we want them to meet. And, and we've got scientists and engineers on our staff that help design them and all that. But even after they're designed and we know they're good, we go shoot them through ribs. We shoot them through scapulas. We shoot them through ball joints. We shoot them through double layers of plywood, mm-hmm. all the things. I, I think that's the, the question in the industry is what is the standard? When you shoot ballistics out of a gun, there's a standard you have to meet. What we're working on now is coming up with a standard that maybe not everybody, because everybody will tell you that a foam target's the best thing to shoot into, but we want something that replicates the animals that we can show that, hey, here's a baseline. Now let's go shoot everybody's broadheads through there. And at the end of the day, the ones that perform are the ones that perform. The ones that crack me up, and I'm getting off on a tangent here, are the guys that go shoot. They'll have a lineup of broadheads, and their first test is MDF or particle board, and half of them don't go through, but then they run to the milk jug. And the ones that didn't go through the particle board, they're shooting through the milk jug saying, well, that wins because it drained all the pink (laughs) stuff out of the milk jug. And I'm like, timeout. If it can't go through the skin and the bone, it never got into the cavity, so how can you test it on the milk jug? Right? Right. There should be a process of elimination. If you can't make it through the solid stuff on the outside, you don't make it to the milk jug test. Yeah. Best uh, – I'll be honest. So I do research just like we've talked about. You, Brian, you do it. Jeff, you do it. I When I buy a product, I, I will find out about it before I buy it. Mm-hmm. And 
there's a guy with a YouTube channel um, who tests broadheads, and you guys have probably heard of him since you're a broadhead company. His name's uh, John Lusk, Lusk Archery Adventures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, no, no, John. He's got about the best process that I can tell because he tests every single one the exact same way, and he's got, you know, hardness test, and he shoots them into freaking cinder blocks <laughs> after they're all done to see how they hold up. And when I can see a broadhead go through what it goes through and then also break a cinder block in half. Now, the broadhead's probably ad- done after that, but... This one wasn't. No, it wasn't. Yeah. It, it had like a little, a little like tip fit. <laughs> now, would I ever yeah. shoot that broadhead again into an animal? No, I'm going to go buy a new one and move on with my life. <laughs> but uh, that's just me. You know, I, I watched what that thing did to a cinder block. I'm just going to go get a new one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I... I I mean, I would encourage people to go check out John's channel and, and type in Vantage Point Broadheads and see what you think because, you know, he he tests – I mean, his goal is to test every freaking broadhead in the world, and he does a lot of them. And, you know, there's certain ones that you can tell what he thinks about them. He tries to be very, very, like, I'm in the middle here, but you can tell what he thinks about most of them. And – um yeah, I would encourage people to go check out his channel and see what he thought about Vantage Point because they tested well. And, you know, I wish, you know, people had the ability to see, you know, to, to do more research than just, you know, like listening to our show. You know, I mean, for lack of a better term, we're talking about Vantage Point Archery Broadheads today. The last thing I want is anybody to listen to this show and then run out and buy um, your guys' Broadheads. What I want them to do is go start learning about them and check out which ones they might like and then trying to figure out if this is the right setup for me because it's going to sell, you know, a good product's going to sell itself. You don't really need someone to sell it for you. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, you guys hearing me say John Lusk, I, I, now you know I do research because I've watched thousands of his, hundreds of his videos at this point in my life, especially when I went down the mechanical road, uh, couple years ago and did go mechanical for a year um didn't shoot anything with it and i and i moved moved back because i'm just i'm not set up to shoot a mechanical man brian like honestly if you wanted to shoot a mechanical you would be the one that could maybe jeff i don't know what your speed is but because at least you got a fast ass arrow i don't so i'm gonna i'm gonna hit an animal and then end all my energy the second i hit that animal which is not that much in the first place um, a guy, I, I would say this. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you're good. I, I would just say this though, that last year I was really curious. I hadn't shot a 60 pound bow in a long time. I do in off season, but for hunting. So I rigged up my Bowtech Revolt XL 60 pound limbs. Uh, I specifically bought limbs and put them on it and, uh, 62 pounds, 512 grain arrow with the single bevel VPA. That's what I shot that doe with last year. 267 feet per second i think it was i just wanted to go out and shoot a deer with a that that weight arrow and a fixed blade so if you want to talk about testing it doesn't get more real than that Uh, right i just was confident it was going to work because i saw what arrows did back in the day Mm -hmm. when i was a kid all of our arrows the xx75s and game getters they were all 500 grains pretty much all of them you couldn't help it a lot of your broadheads were 140 160 grains the bare razor heads and that type of thing and that's just what we shot yeah so I know that's off on a different no, you're good deal, but um, yeah. So you know, with a good fixed blade head, again, it removes even the variable of speed. Yeah. 
what I need to do, honestly, is one of these off seasons, I need to go buy some 150 grain field points and just start shooting, see how I, you know, shoot it through a chrono, see what my speed is. And I'm going to freak the hell out if it drops under 200, I'll be honest with you. And my worry is, you know, being 75 grains heavier than I am now, I'm just, it's not going to have the speed I want. Um, so we'll see though. Maybe it only drops it from 263 to 245. You know, who knows what it actually is. Right. I've shot nothing but 100 grade heads my entire career uh, as a hunter. So I really don't know that. What I need to do is go buy some 150 grain field points and just see what they do. And I'd feel a lot better having an almost 500 grain arrow than I would 415. What would it be? 490 if I went and bought, you know, 150 grain heads. Um, yeah. And so that, the point to me asking you guys that question was, you know, the listeners should think about that sort of stuff. There are some new archers out there. There's some people who've been archery hunting for a long time. You should think about your entire setup. How fast are you? How heavy are you? What is on the end of your bow? Some of those things don't go well with others. A guy like me is going to pay for shooting a, a mechanical at the speed he's he's at. A guy like Andy or Brian might could get away with it a little more than a guy like me because the speed they have. They're losing less in, well, they have more energy to start with than a guy like me. So you gotta figure out like what what are you? What is your setup? And then where are you gonna go? And if you're gonna go fixed blade, then you got companies like Vantage Point that have four hundred and ninety different weight options that you can pick from and uh you know, you can kind of get set up the way you want. And then you can also buy what I kind of liked about your guys' site too, is you can also buy the field points to match that weight that you, you know, want to try. So a guy like me, the type of consumer I am, I would go buy those field points, try them. If I liked them, now the, the broadheads, if everything flew like, okay, this is, I'm good with this. Now I can go get those broadheads in the same weight and I'd be good to go. So that's kind of cool. I don't have to go to Amazon or some other website to find the field points that I want to try out. They're they're right there. I can just get them from you guys. And I'm assuming it's the same type of material that your broadheads are made of because you've got it sitting in the shop to make stuff with. So, <laughs> you know, it might be the extras or whatever, but it's still the same stuff. So, um, what else? And, Anything? And Jeff, don't we have, we sell test packs now, correct, Jeff? So you can buy three different heads is that right you expound on that yeah so sweet so we, we actually sell a test pack where it's all the different field tips from 100 to 300 so you can figure out what weight you want and then to brian's point you can call in and say hey i want a 200 single bevel i want a 200 three blade and i want a 200 two blade or i want whatever mix and match you want of the broadheads and we'll send you out a pack like that too so you can you know maybe i want to try a 150 two blade and i want to try a 200 omega and i want to try a 300 one and a quarter cut i don't know we'll, whatever your mix is we'll send that out you brought up a good point though, well so think about you it. just yep. you just sold that for me now i don't have to worry about going and buying 125 150 grain 175 nope. grain fill points i'll just get the there you go the what is it what'd you call that the what pack, test pack. the test, test pack, pack. Mm-hmm. i'll just go do that and then when i'm trying to decide what broadhead i'll do the same thing with the broadheads i'll test which one's you know, because, you know, I've never shot a single bevel. That's interesting to me. But then your three blades look pretty freaking cool. So, like, you know, just once again, what do I, what works? That's pretty good. Yep. Well, I want you to think about one thing you guys are just talking about. So you got Brian here that's 
freak of nature. He's 6'2", or whatever he is. He's got a 31-inch draw. He's pulling back two tons, 90 pounds, whatever that is. <laughs> he's going to stick it through everything. But you, you go on the flip side, I got a daughter and a wife that shoot. They're both 5'2". My wife's pulling back 51 pounds. My daughter's pulling back 52, 53 pounds. I think one's shooting a 24-inch draw. One's probably, she'll tell you it's 26, but it's probably 23. We need to make stuff that, that works for them too, right? Right. Both of those have complete pass-through. The, the question I would ask is you, you see some of these, again, talking heads and say, oh, it's all about speed. What about deciding should I be shooting at 100 yards? I don't. I do not. I don't think that's ethical. Mm-hmm. I think if I want to shoot at 100 yards, I'm pulling the rifle out, and I'm going to go back to rifle hunting. I want to get so close that I can smell them. I can see them. It's it's more of the primal thing of being right there with the animal. So part of that goes back. All right, so you can shoot out 100 yards, and you're this. Neanderthal at 6'4", at 90, 90 pounds. Sorry, Brian, I'm not calling you Neanderthal, but <laughs> you get my point. He has a lot more selection of what he can shoot out with. I would yeah. question ethics if it gets too far, but we're trying to make broadheads for everybody, mm-hmm. and everybody can get into the sport, and everybody can enjoy it, and everybody can take an ethical kill. So part of that is your equipment. Part of that is the time you put into it. Part of that is the choices you make. Mm-hmm. So when you're up there and you're in full draw and you're thinking, I'm going to smoke this thing, just make sure you're smoking it ethically. Yeah. And that, whether you're shooting mechanicals or whatever, just have that in your head that, that I'm doing these for the right reasons. Yeah. When I'm, when I'm doing my research, I'm not doing it just for me. You know, I've got a 13 year old son that got his first bow this year and he's, he's pulling back 20 pounds. So he's not, he's not hunting with it yet. But yeah. when he gets to 40 pounds, which, is the bare minimum I think he should be at to, to maybe take a deer with it. He's not going to get to shoot a deer over 20 yards. You know, the first time he get, goes hunting and yep. the research I do for myself, I'm doing for the boys as the, when they become hunters, because it's even more important for a kid that's, you know, at 45 pounds, let's say um, with a, I think his draw is a 22 inch draw, a 20 inch draw, something like that. He's, he's a decently tall kid for me being his father. And, you know, <laughs> uh, he's going to have a lot going against him when he first starts hunting. So the last thing I want my son to have is negative experiences the first time he tries to kill a deer. You know, luckily both my sons have already killed deer and it was successful. But one was with a firearm and the other was a crossbow. Eventually, they're going to want to get into dad's world, which is archery world, um, where they're able to to hunt with a a bow and i'm going to be very very specific about how we're going to do it because you know i feel comfortable shooting a deer at 40 yards 45 if he's you know i mean depends on the situation but i feel comfortable there's not a chance in hell when my son's pulling 40 yards 40 pounds that i'm going to let him shoot a deer past 20 Mm -hmm. Um, because it's not going to be a fast arrow and there's a lot of things that you know he could he could err on and so you're gonna have to do that and then on top of it, I don't want to put a 600 grain arrow on his setup that has a mechanical head on it. Yeah, that thing's just going to slap the deer's hide and, and fall down because it's going to be just kind of like shooting a straw through the air. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. people got to think about those things when they're when they're doing their setups. And I think the consumer today is much better about it than they were, you know, a decade ago with, you know, not just going to Bass Pro grabbing a pack of arrows, grabbing some broadheads and, and 
you know, buying a, a bow that you find hanging there and moving on. A lot of consumers, in my opinion, at least guys like me, I'll research every damn part of what I'm buying mm-hmm. to decide what it is I want. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's awesome that Vantage Point and companies like you guys, number one, are making products in America. Uh, that's huge for, for guys like us. Number two, that are testing their products and trying to make a product that is, you know, better than, you know, it could be. And uh, then I go back to the Made, of America th- made in America thing. I mean, if you guys would have reached out and said, hey, let's, let's do something together um, and you aren't a partner of mine that's paying me to talk to you, I'm not letting you come on my show when you make stuff in the Philippines. You know, that, that's a huge thing that, um, a lot of consumers are looking at and it's, it's a good thing. I love that a lot of our consumers are starting to figure out where stuff's made. And there's some, some awesome companies I work with that don't have stuff always made in America and it, it sucks, but, um, you know, there's still some good people out there that just have to make decisions they got to make. Um, but before we hop off here, why don't you guys kind of tell everybody, um, where they can, you know, find your stuff, watch some of your videos, and help them make a decision that uh, might lead them to, to vantage point. Well, I'll let Brian tell you where you get everything, but the one thing I want people to think about when you think about vantage point is we have a a lot of great people that shoot our products. Um, a a lot of big name people that we don't throw their names up there. The people we want shooting our products obviously is everybody. Uh, We are for a for profit, but the ones that matter the most are, the guys you don't see on TV, the people that go out that, you know, work a 40 hour week and get off. And this is what they do with their family. The kids and the families that tack, they go up and you see three, four generations up there. The, the moms, the sons, the daughters hanging out with their dads. That's who we're after. We want people to just enjoy it. Know it's made by good American people in America with American products, creating American jobs. We're keeping all that here. It's a good ethical product. When you call, you talk to Brian, Alex, Ryan, or myself. Or, uh, oh man, I forgot his name. I got another kid in there. the other Kellen. Day. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, I was going to call him. I was going to call him Caleb, but I know it was. It's Kellen, and I've known the kid his whole life. Um, but those are those are the things I want you to think about. It's thirty families that we keep employed. Thirty-one now that Brian and his family's on. We hire families, and we're doing it for the right reasons. We're for profit. Back to what you said is I didn't pay you to come on your show. You invited us to come on your show. No, nope. we deeply appreciate that, but I'm not going to go out and get a talking head that just tells people to shoot my stuff because I pay them. I want people talking about it. And I want a ton of talking heads to shoot our product because it's a good product. Not because I pay you to, to go out there and do it. So agreed. It's all on you, Brian. I would say this, if, if you're considering, and you know, in the last couple of years, few years, a lot of people are gravitating back toward fixed blade heads. I would encourage you, first of all, get yourself a test pack from bprtree.com. Yep. But, uh, shameless plug, <laughs> but, but consider this, if you don't change anything else on a setup, and the problem is some people go, I want a new arrows, I want new veins, I'm going to go lighted knocks, I want a new head, I want, just take the arrow you have. Tune your bow and put a fixed blade head on a good quality one piece fixed blade head made in Fort Wayne, Indiana, hopefully, and start there. I don't care if it's 415 grain, 450, 500, start there. That is going to be better, in my opinion, than any mechanical head because of the moving part variability. So that's a great start. 
put a good one piece fix head on it and start from there. If you want to start adding weight, changing inserts, that type of thing, playing around with FOC, that's up to you. But some people make this way more complicated yeah. than it really needs to be. Start with the head. And that's number one. Like you said earlier, that is, that's the only thing, the initial contact with that deer, elk, whatever it is. So that's got to be priority number one is making sure that head's in good shape. Uh, again, bparchery.com is where you can find the head. We're all over social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, Vantage Point Archery. Look us up. And uh, we're on there staying busy, doing a lot of posts. And um, again, like Jeff said earlier, posted video of us testing broadheads through uh, through different medium last week. So that's the fun part of the job is shooting a bow at work. Get paid cool. to shoot a bow. Yep, that's pretty nice. Yeah, for the first time in my life. So. And and you said we've said this multiple times on the show, and I keep we keep glossing mm-hmm. over it, but I want to make sure you know it, it, I drive this point home. A tuned bow. Yes. You know you can buy the nicest stuff in the world, and if your bow is crooked as shit, it's not going to mm-hmm. shoot right. So yep. start there. 100%. Nice tuned bow. We're lucky enough to have a guy in our area that is world known for tuning bows. And all of our stuff goes to him right off the bat. Doesn't matter, um, you know, where it came from or what it's been doing. And, uh, you know, that's important. Have a, a bow that's shooting straight, then you can move from there. Then you can start, you know, playing. But, hey, um, I'll tell you what, Brian Poe and Jeff Stringer with Vantage Point Archery, I appreciate you guys coming on and talking a little bit more about uh, what it is you guys do. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's, you know, it's a lot of time and effort and just hope we gave you some information and some reasons to check us out. Yep. Appreciate it, guys. Appreciate the time. We'll see you. Appreciate it. Thank you.